Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you grant to us the opportunity this morning to worship you in spirit and the truth, to recognize your love, to recognize your grace, to recognize you as being Lord, God, and King. And we honor you with, with all that, that, that we have, recognizing that we are nothing if without you. We thank you for the blessings, the provision, and the grace. We pray for one another. We've had several concerns that we mentioned this morning, and we know that you've heard every one of them, and we ask for your uh, um, immediate response to each and every need. We thank you for what you've done in the past. As a product of that is with us today, and we give you praise and thanksgiving. And we just honor you, worship you, and we love you. In your name that we pray. Amen. pray. Dear Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day of life that you've given us. We're thankful to be in your house to hear the word uh, as presented by Pastor Benji, and then we, we take that word out into to the world and spread it amongst the people that we know and love. Father, uh, we're thankful for the men and women who gave their lives in defense of this country and that they cannot be here but we will always honor them father we owe you so much and we're going to return a portion of what we owe so we can do thy will and continue to um, spread your word I say this prayer in the name of the lord jesus christ amen
This morning, I want to bring a message that's entitled, the, hum the Humble Servant. And we're looking at John chapter 13 in verses 1 through 20. And in that chapter, what stands out, if you're familiar with that, is that Jesus is about to wash the disciples' feet. And this is a series of messages I've been bringing throughout the month of May about divine appointments. And the disciples were with Jesus, not by accident. You're here in this place, not by accident. What you understand and what you've come to believe is not by accident. There are divine appointments for all of us at every day and every turn and every place we're at. I know we've all said from time to time, oh, lucky seeing you here. Or it's a coincidence that I am in this place. Well, there's not luck and there's no coincidence in the economy of God, it's divine appointments. The reason why you are facing what you're facing or with someone at that time might just be God governed, God, God designed, God for you to experience what you're going through. And yet the disciples were at a place to where they were soaking up the opportunity of spending some time with Jesus behind closed doors to, to push out all the distractions and to be selfish for a few moments, and to have the attention of Jesus. And yet, Jesus was about to reveal to them something greater than beyond their understanding and beyond their recollection. And in John chapter 13, it's about that washing. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Now, that's another way that Jesus knew that his time was coming for him to be crucified. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to, be, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, and he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So that he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around them. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus asked him, what I'm, going, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you will know. You will never wash my feet ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter cleared his throat and said, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. 
The one who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he's completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For you, for he knew who would betray him. And this is why he said, you are not all clean. Now, Jesus continues on, and the scripture gives explanation to the meaning of what he's doing. And he said, when Jesus had washed their feet and he put on his robe, he reclined again and he said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and you call me Lord. This is well said for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a, master and, a, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you knew these things, you are blessed if you do them. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he, as I assure you, the one who receives whomever I send receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. And then, of course, it speaks about the betrayal of Judas that we'll speak about in just a moment. Here is a passage of Scripture that is so powerful that demonstrates to us the necessity of servanthood and how Jesus even took the opportunity of one of the last actions in ministry was serving the people who had committed their lives to him. Now, I don't know if you've ever washed anybody's feet. You know, thinking about it, you're probably thinking, I have trouble washing my own. <laughs> How am I going to wash someone else's? Now, it's a very humbling experience to wash someone's feet, but I think it's even more humbling to have your feet washed. I've been in both situations. And if you want to try that servanthood moment, then tonight with your spouse, wash your feet and then let her wash yours. Now, you'll find out what I'm speaking of. Or if you've got a good friend, offer that type of servanthood. You'll find, you'll, you'll, you'll understand maybe a little glimpse of what all those disciples must have experienced when Jesus, who is Lord of all, who is master of their life, who is working out their plan of salvation, who loves them with a greater love beyond measure, who loves them even though they're dirty. He loves them even though they may stink. <laughs> He loves them just as they are and he goes around one by one and he washes the dirty feet of those disciples to demonstrate the humility but also to demonstrate the powerful message of how they are going to serve from this day forward. In the absence of the physicalness of Jesus but the invisible spiritual presence of the Holy Spirit of Jesus is going to be with them through that process. And so let's think about this humble servant. The last night of Jesus' earthly ministry is, is so eventful. He prayed his great high priestly prayer prior to this, this recorded in Scripture. Taught his disciples valuable truths. Observed the Passover meal with them and his disciples. Even demonstrated the knowledge that he knew that one of the twelve was going to betray him in the hands of his enemies. And through all of this, Jesus knows that in the morning that he's going to Calvary and he's going to die on a cross for the sin of humanity. However, he begins the events the evening before with the disciples washing their feet, teaching them a lesson about servanthood that speaks to us even today and grabs our hearts even more so today and proves to these men that he did not come to serve 
to, to be served, but he came to serve. And yet in showing himself as a servant, Jesus lifted such a vivid portrait of the kind of heart that we are challenged to have every day of our life. And in these verses, among other things, we find out that God's will for our lives is to learn to give of ourselves for the service of others. Now, this weekend is the remembrance of Memorial Day. It is not a day that you recognize the veterans who are still alive. As Dwight prayed and was emotional as a veteran, emotional in his prayer, realizing that it's about those who didn't come home. It's about those who are not wearing the uniform today. And we remember in, in instances like this, it calls us to remember how people have given the ultimate sacrifice for the service of someone else, for the democracy and for the country we live in. And yet Jesus is talking about how he is serving them. For them, for the rest of their life, this was their memorial day. It was a time that they would look back and realize Jesus didn't go any further on the physical earth because the next morning, next day, he would be arrested and by evening would be dead. And so this is their time to remember how someone demonstrated the ultimate sacrifice and demonstrated it in service. Isn't that powerful? So let's look for a few moments and consider the qualities of a humble servant. The qualities of a humble servant. We find it in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. And yet, as you look at those verses that we just read, we're talking about the influence of that humble servant. The influence that Jesus had on the disciples at that moment and the influence that that would carry forth through the disciples on to that the next day of their life, their, their next days of their life. So that's the influence. Number one is the influence of that humble servant. And so now let me talk to you about the love of that humble servant, the love of that humble servant. Now, the verse tells us that Jesus knows that his time is nearing in. It's obvious, obvious as it's written there in the Word. He knows that he's about to go to the cross. He knows he's going to the cross for the suffering of the sin of the very ones he's washing the dirty feet of. He's going to die for those men, and he's going to die for you and for me. Yet through it all, his heart is overcome with a genuine love for his disciples. It's not hatred, it's not bitterness. Even though he knew that the one who would dip his hand in the same cup would betray him, Jesus still loved him. Jesus loved them perfectly. He loved them unconditionally. He loved them eternally. His love never wavered, even in the hour and the shadow of that cross. It never wavered, and he loved them. I mean, what an encouragement it is for you and me. You see, Jesus loves us with the same kind of love that he loved his disciples on that Thursday evening. Jeremiah tells us that this love of God is an everlasting love. Paul tells us that nothing could ever separate us from the love of God that's found in Romans in verses 8, verse 38 and 39, regardless of what transpires in our life and whatever transpires in my life. We are loved perfectly. We are loved unconditionally. And we are loved eternally because that agape love is an almighty love that cannot be comprehended into its entirety in the human mind. It is a love that permeates the coldest of heart. It permeates the most distant heart. It permeates the hardest heart. It, permeate, it permeates the, the heart that, that does not understand. It's the heart that's really not seeking God. God loves that, and His love permeates all of that and grabs a hold of the person who says, yes, I see, I feel, I know, I understand that your love is a love that's perfect, unconditional, and eternal for me. So we see the love of that humble servant based on the fact it's all falling under the influence of who Jesus is. Second of all is this, the life of the humble servant is demonstrated. In John chapter three, 13, verse 3, it says... 
Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. He had come from God and that he was going back to God. The verse speaks of the life of Jesus. When he came into the world, he came as the one sent from God to, to live as a sinless, a sinless man to deal with the sinful fallen man. And he has accomplished everything but the cross at this point in his life. And he knows that after the cross, he will return back to the Father, sharing in the glory of heaven. And yet Jesus had one purpose when he came into the world. And that purpose was to die for you and me. And that cross is the absolute indisputable proof of that love. Stretched out, far as he could be stretched on a cross. And he says, Father, love them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You may discount everything else God has ever done for you and write it off as luck or write it off as whatever you want it to be, but you'll never be able to shrug off the death of Jesus on the cross for you. The cross stands as the monument. It stands for us as the memorial of the greatest one who ever served all humanity. And it reminds us of the awesome love of God that is given to you and is given to me, the people before us and the people that is yet to be born. And so we see the life of this humble servant. Third of all, in this influence, we see the labor of this humble servant. You find in John chapter 13, verse 2, Now by the time of supper, supper the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. And in verses 4 and 5, it goes on to say, So he got up from supper, laid aside his robe. He laid aside his pride. He laid aside everything else that anybody could ever think of who this man was. He laid it aside, and he became the greatest servant of all when he got down into the crypts of the dirtiness that was all wrapped up in the disciples' life. The feet represents their sinful life that could not be clean in any other way but by the hands and the life of Jesus. And there he took off that robe, he tied it around him, he poured the water into the basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, and he dried them with the towel that was around him. He not only cleaned them, he shined them. He took care of every grime of dirt, and that's exactly what the cross would do. Take care of every, every remedy, every byproduct, every penalty of the sin of your life and mine. And Jesus became that ultimate picture of a humble servant. Apparently, there were no servants available to wash the disciples' feet. So Jesus was not threatened by not having enough labor in the house. And he became the laborer and took over where no one else would. And yet, I can imagine the amazement that must have filled the minds and the faces of those around the table. And the amazement that they could, must have seen in the face of their Lord as, they, as he washed the dirty feet one by one. I don't know if I would want to be the first one washed in that room or to be the last one. Because by the time he got to number 12, I think I would have been shaking in my shoes. I may not have been able to contain myself with emotion. I may have been so eager to wash Jesus' feet that I wouldn't have allowed him to wash mine. So I guess the first one was the one who stood there thinking, I'm glad this is over. But was it? It was a demonstration that only would begin the process of what was going to happen for the next steps of those disciples' lives from that day forward. Jesus knew the heart of Judas, and he knew that the man that had, had, had never committed 100% of himself to the task of who Jesus Christ is, and Jesus still washed his feet. Isn't that amazing? Himself knowing that Judas was not his true follower, but yet knew that he was listening to the 
the, the tug of Satan in his life. Knew that Judas was, was serving Satan more than he was himself. Because he was listening to that temptation and the enticement of being prosperous. And yet Jesus washed his feet. Jesus knew that and he still loved him. The great truth is contained. The truth is even though Jesus knew the heart of Judas, even though he knew his motives, even though he knew his plans, he still loved him and he gave him opportunity to repent at that very moment. Even at that point, it was not too late for Judas. And yet, he died on the cross knowing who we are. He died on the cross knowing our own heart. He died on the cross knowing what really mattered to us. He died on the cross for the proud. He died on the cross for the conceited. He died on the cross for the sinful. He died on the cross for the selfish. He died on the cross and he knew that about each one of us. And he still died for us. John chapter 13 verse 18 as well as verse on to verse 27. In these verses Jesus repeatedly shows that he knows what Judas is up to. But yet he still loves him. What a lesson for every one of us in this room. And even those who are outside the rim of the understanding of Jesus. Understand that his love will never end. His love will never end, even though we may reject him from time to time with whatever's coming our way or getting caught up in the distractions of our life or we turn our back on God. He still loves us. His love is not determined by our response. His love was always there. Remember, it is a perfect love and it is a love that's unconditional. And it's a love that's eternal. And nothing can ever change the love of God for the entire world. And it doesn't matter where you live. And so we understand the influence of this humble servant, his love, his life, his labor. Now let's look at the word of the actual humble servant. Let's look at the word of that humble servant. And we'll see it in the life of Simon Peter. In chapter 13, verses 6 and through 11, as we read, where basically the summation of it is that Jesus comes to Peter. And he's there on his knees right before Peter, and he's getting ready to wash his feet. And Peter says, no, no, you're not. He says, he basically says in, in his shock, no, don't wash my feet. I need to be washing your feet. So we see the word of that humble servant, Jesus, that is. When Jesus makes his way to Simon Peter, Peter is shocked, obviously, as you and I would be. Moved, he simply cannot believe that the Lord wanted to serve him this way, a way in which the Lord, the Messiah, the one who reigns, who is the, the word of God in flesh, who has become the tabernacle among them, among the earth is the very one who's on his knees washing his dirty feet. I stand amazed when I consider all that the Lord has done. I stand amazed in considering all that he's doing and all that he will ever do in any one of our lives. Loving us beyond my comprehension, doing th things for us beyond what we could even imagine. After all, there's no merit within any one of us to commend God toward us. It is through Christ. Thanks be unto God, He doesn't give up on us and He doesn't give us what we deserve. Salvation and all the benefits are the product of God's grace and God's love, not the product of our desire. We enjoy what we do, not because we deserve it, because God gives it to us and because He loves us. And we see Simon Peter's shock as he's doing something to Simon Peter and Simon surely doesn't deserve it. And second of all, understanding the word of this humble servant, we see through Peter's stubbornness another word that Jesus gives. 
When Peter hears that Jesus is really planning to do this, he responds with a triple negative in Greek. It tells us this. He's basically saying, you will never, no, never, no, never wash my feet. That's what he says to Jesus. He basically says, I am disobedient to you as my master, and you will never wash my feet. Peter basically says, I'm God, and you're not. So don't touch my dirty feet. Let me do yours. He basically was being disobedient to Jesus. That's the equivalence of the, the ultimate irreverence to God. When we say to God, no, 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 never. I remember my father standing in the living room when I was a young boy and the Methodist minister coming into home sharing Christ with all of us a family. And my dad stood up from his chair, pointed his finger right in that minister's face. He said, I will never bow down to Jesus Christ. And that Methodist minister just kept on going. He kept on loving. He kept the smile on his face. He wasn't shocked by anything my father said. And then just short few years later, when his son, my brother, was dying there after being hit by a car, there was my father on his knees in the intensive care floor unit of Roper Hospital at that time on the third floor that's now up on the seventh. And he was there praying, Lord God, I don't know if you hear me. I don't know if I deserve for you to hear me, but I ask that you spare my son's life. And I walked in as a child looking at my father and I remembered him saying, I will never, no, never, never bow down to Jesus Christ. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether on earth or in heaven. And yet Peter's stubbornness was saying to God from his shock that I don't want you to do this to me. The first condition of discipleship is obedience. And Peter is simply refusing to submit to the Lord and yet display his own humility. Jesus reminds him of a great truth. He says, unless a man is willing to submit to the commandments of the Lord, he has no fellowship with me. And it's almost like he stood up and he said, oh, Lord, I hear you. Please forgive me. In all my stupidness and all my waywardness and all my shock, if you've got to wash every inch of me, by all means, get to washing. We may tend to feel ashamed when the Lord blesses us. And Peter was there receiving a blessing from God beyond measure. And he didn't know how to receive it. He didn't know how to, how to take it in. And yet, even though he didn't deserve it, and he, got God, he received God's goodness and he received God's grace, yet at the same time, we should be grateful in accepting his gifts and offer our praise to him for all that he does because true fellowship with Jesus is found in humble submission to his plan with a grateful heart. And third, we see through the word of that humble servant through Simon Peter's submission, we understand, third of all, Simon Peter's submission. When Peter hears the gentle rebuke, he throws himself before the Lord and he says, wash all of me. This is the attitude of surrender. This is where God just sits back with folded arms and says, it got you, didn't it? My love is a love that's overpowering. You can try your best to resist it for all your life, but eventually I'm going to wear it down. It's almost like God's saying, I finally got you where I need you. And Peter understood his total submission at that point. If Peter ever thought he was submitted to Jesus, it was now he knew he was submitted to Jesus. Peter was motivated by the thought of being closer to the Lord. And at that moment, Jesus and Peter's eyes locked. And no one mattered more to Jesus than Peter. And no one mattered more to Peter than Jesus. It was a one-on-one -on -one interaction. And Peter's submission lets us understand what it's like to have a heart seeking God, just like the heart that David had. When David said in Psalm 32, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity I have not hidden. 
I said, I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you have forgiven me of the iniquity of my sin. That's David's words. That's a man after God's own heart. Peter becomes a man after God's own heart as Jesus washes his dirty feet. Please note that while Jesus said that to the disciples who were all clean, he also knew the condition, again, of Judas who remained unclean. The all-seeing eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ was on every one of them. He knew what they are. He knew what they could do. He knew their basic belief. He knew how religious they were. He knew how spiritual they were. He knew all the things about them. He knew whether they were saved or whether they were not. He, he, they may have felt like fools at times. Jesus still knew that, and he knew when they shined. Nothing could be pulled over the eyes of Jesus. No wool could be pulled over his eyes. And so we see through the actions of Peter, we see the word of this humble servant. A third aspect of the qualities of this humble servant is the wisdom of the humble servant. In John 13, in verses 12 through 17, we see the wisdom that Jesus gives, and specifically in verses 12 through 15, he says, When Jesus had washed their feet, he put on his robe, he reclined again, and he said to them, Do you not know what I have done for you? I remember the day on August 16th of 1981 when I committed my life to Jesus during a revival meeting, and an invitation was given. And the evangelist said, All those who are who, who understand the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now. You sense God coming over you. You realize that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. And if you died this very moment, you would spend your eternity separated from God. And he says, I want you to let go of that and receive Jesus. Come down to this altar. Someone wants to pray with you a sinner's prayer and help you meet Jesus. And I remember letting go, my knuckles grabbing hold of that wooden pew that was so white. And I let go, and I stepped out that aisle, and I stepped forward to the pastor, and he says, what's your reason for coming? And I said, I want to know Jesus. And he said, this man standing here at this door is going to help you to meet him. Walk over to Mr. Jimmy. Mr. Jimmy A., it took me into that room, and for the next few minutes as the invitation was given and other people were giving their life to Christ, he was explaining to me what I was doing. And he led me to pray that little sinner's prayer of where I just said, Lord Jesus, come live inside my life, inside my heart. Save me from my sin. You see, Jesus sets the standard by which every servant must live. We all come to Jesus the same way. It doesn't matter how rich we are, how poor we are. It doesn't matter where we're from, what country or culture, or what race we are. We all come to Jesus the same way. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me, because I can't save myself. And then we realize that that salvation is not just a gift of a one-time experience and go home and say, I've been covered. I've got fire insurance for the rest of my life. We realize that it is the, the mandate, the document that now has been signed to where I have said back to him, I am committed to you for the rest of my life. And I'm going to serve you because you've done the ultimate for me. His disciples had been guilty of arguing at one point who would be first in the kingdom of heaven. They were all concerned over who would be the greatest in heaven, but Jesus reminded them that the true greatness is the great paradox. People never earn the respect of others by forced obedience, but they earn the respect of others by first being a servant. Jesus says that the path of greatness is through humility. This is one of the great paradoxes of faith. There are several others. The way to life is through death. The way to receive is to give. The way to greatness is becoming least of all. And the way to understanding your role as a believer, as a son and as a daughter, is to be a humble servant to the greatest humble servant. He was willing to make himself servant of all. As a result, God exalted himself and gave him the name that was above every name. 
and that everyone will confess that name. You see, Jesus gave us that wonderful example of who he is. He gave us the example of that which is the epitome of love. He gave us the example of that which is the epitome of servanthood. He gave us the example of that which is a name worthy to be lifted up by all of humanity. Jesus, the Christ. Yet he gave us an exhortation in verse 16. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. Jesus gave an exhortation here. The lesson is simple. If Jesus is willing to be the servant, then all his followers ought to be willing to serve as well. Notice Jesus did not serve the ones he preferred. It probably would have been easy just to go to Simon and pull him off to the side and say, Simon, you represent everybody. You've got, you've got the character that embodies everybody in this room. And he says, at his demonstration to the other eleven, I'm going to demonstrate with just Simon Peter because I prefer him because of the character he is. But Jesus didn't do that. The beloved disciple might have been one whom Jesus preferred. Or maybe he preferred Judas because he's knowing that Judas is feeling the weight of his guilt and the weight of his sin and all of the conspiring against Jesus and conspiring against all humanity who was representing the embodiment of Adam all over again, choosing sin over life, choosing the fruit of death over life. Maybe he preferred Thomas who doubted knowing that, that he could ward off that doubt that was going to come later if Thomas would understand now exactly who Jesus is. Maybe there was a preference, but Jesus didn't show it. Why? Because his love does, has no preferences. The cross and, the, and the, the ground at the cross is level for every one of us. And it doesn't matter our cloud, our influence, where we're from and what we have. It doesn't matter what we accomplish and how we're recognized or if we're not. It doesn't matter if we clean toilet commodes or whether we live in penthouses. It doesn't matter. We're all equal at the base of the cross because we're all sin. And Jesus took that sin. He took the Adam away from us and he gave us life. We all have people who seem to connect with us and it's easier to serve. We all have people that become favorites in our life because they're easy to approach. We all have the people we'd like to be with because they're one of us. They're our like-mindedness. They're our kind, as Opie said to his father one day on Andy Griffith. I can't speak about my friend because he's one of my kind. It's easier to respond to one of our kind. But Jesus responds to all. Can we honestly say this morning that we serve all equally? No longer letting grudges dictate who we love and who we serve. Even those who may have slighted us, belittled us, who doesn't treat us with kind words. People who think of themselves greater than they can think of us. Jesus gave the exhortation to love all regardless. And he demonstrated it through his words as well as his actions. And third of all and last of the wisdom of the humble servant is Jesus gave an expectation. John says in verse 17, If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. In other words, Jesus says, if you got it, you're blessed. And you're more blessed when you do them. If you really understand what I have done for you, you will be blessed as you do what I have done. In other words, he says, will you take the example of what I've given you and put it into action, and we can be reassured of the Lord's blessings on our life as we serve our fellow man. In fact, there will come a time where there will be no greater joy than that of being able to serve one another in the name of the Lord. We serve Him. We serve Him through the things we give. 
such as the donations we make to various organizations that we're involved in now and do the help for kids. We serve in that way. We serve when we go to the hospital and we're with the family and we pray with them and stay with them throughout that surgery. We serve them when we invite someone over to dinner and we have, have them in our home and we become hospitable to them. We serve them when we meet a financial need of someone's life. We serve them when we do something what others would consider very little, but it's very large in that person's life. We serve in so many ways, and we can do it even better. Jesus left us a wonderful example to follow. His was a life lived in service to others. And if we're to sum up our life, your life and my life today... Could you and I honestly say that, that we are thinking of someone else and serving them greater than we're thinking of ourselves and serving ourselves? Can we honestly say that we're following the Lord's example to the best of our ability, that, we're, that we figuratively, symbolically have tied around us this towel around our waist? that we're carrying figuratively and symbolically under our arm the bowl of water, that we're willing to untie the shoelaces of the dirty feet and begin to wash them and to shine them and to get them ready for their act of service. Whatever the need is this morning, there is hope and there is help in the Lord Jesus Christ. For some we meet, they may be another Judas. They display a wonderful disposition and they display, hey, I know this God. But yet on the inside, they do not. Years ago, I was in a witnessing situation and to this day still brings me chills. And what I felt and what I saw was so real. And yet what I saw and what I felt was straight from the pits of hell. And I felt good about it. I was witnessing to a gentleman. And as I was sharing my testimony, and after we got to know him a little bit, and I got down to the testimony, I said, listen, I'd like to share with you a story, something that's happened to me that changed my life it has made me a different person today. The openness of the Spirit in that home as I sat on that living room was so welcoming and so inviting and so refreshing. And he said, sure, I'd love to hear it. And I began to tell him my testimony of how I come to know Christ, what my life was like before Christ, how I come to know Christ and what Christ has done for me after I accepted Christ. Smiling on his face, I felt like I've got another brother in Christ. And I said, got down to the most important question. I said, have you ever had an experience like I've just described? The biggest smile and the warmest spirit. It just felt like the Holy Spirit hushed into that room and I was ready to dance with joy over what God was doing in our lives that day. He said, I sure have. But my experience is with Satan. And I serve him with all my heart. And I'll die and go to hell for him. And what scared me the most is that this warm spirit and welcoming spirit I felt in that place that day. How deceived I was just that quick as I listened to him share his testimony of how he was committed to Satan. To the point as a past training to be a pastor in seminary at the time, for me, I, I left. I ran. I left my bowl of basin of water. I left my towel in that man's home, and I didn't want to serve him. But those are the people we're called to serve regardless of what they believe and what they've experienced. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to put you in always in a wonderful situation. You'll know what to do the rest of your life. He said, I'm going to put you in places that's going, to, that's going to blow your mind because I blow people's minds spiritually. And will you serve me in those situations? You see, even in the Judases of today, 
we must serve them. We must be willing to get down to their level and serve them. And to get down to the brass roots of things and to begin to know that Jesus has whatever is happening before us. He's got it. He's going to direct it. He's going to to work out those details. It's just up to us whether or not we're going to share it. I love what we talked about in Sunday school. Sharing Christ is leaving the results to God. And so serving God is leaving the results to Him. Our service is not about making the change in someone's life. Our talk to someone is not about making them be convinced of who Jesus is. It's just our job to serve and it's our job to share and we leave the results up to God. So let me ask you this morning, will you first of all respond in obedience to the Lord? Whatever that call is in your life, whatever that need is of obedience, I, I ask you, what it, will you respond in obedience to the Lord? Will you commit to being His servant regardless of the situation? Not willing to run away, but to stay in there and to watch God do amazing and powerful things. One other story I share with you was in the same situation and I went into the home of a gentleman and we were sharing Christ with him. We got down to this testimony after we got to know him a little bit and shared some common ground. And I said, hey, I'd like to share with you some, a story of my life that, that's the greatest story I could ever tell. Would you like to hear it? And he said, sure. A young teenage boy, his father was in the kitchen making noise. It seemed like every time I said something, something louder was happening in the kitchen, knowing that it was just a distraction to the boy. And the further I began to share, and I shared my testimony, I could see the, the kid, the, the young guy, he was shaking. Tears began to well up in his eyes. You could sense the power of the Holy Spirit in its truest sense, the conviction falling upon him. And I said, hey, have you ever had an experience like this? He said, no. I said, well, would you like to? He said, no. And I said, do you mind if I pray with you? And we prayed and prayed for him and knowing that, again, we share Christ, we lead the results up to God. And when we leave, it's up to God to do what He needs to do in that person's life. And we had that prayer, and we all stood up. It's about three of us who are a team together on an evangelism team going out throughout the state. And as I put my hand on the doorknob, it was almost as if the doorknob could not turn. And he said, wait! And about that time, there was no noise from the kitchen. There was no dad there to distract the boy any longer. If it was, we didn't hear it. And I turned around and I said, what's the need? What is it you need in your life? He said, I want to receive Jesus. And he got down on his knees there in his dad's living room, his own living room, and he confessed Jesus as Lord. You see, we just have to commit to doing it. God does the rest. Will you make that commitment of obedience today and will you commit to being a servant? Don't ever underestimate the power of your servanthood. It may be a phone call. It may be a postcard. It may be an email. It may be interacting with someone through one of your, your, your computer games that you've gotten to know the person through the years. It may be what leads to you going out to dinner with someone or lunch or going over to someone's house or knocking on their door. Or planning when you take your trash can out, you'll see your neighbor taking it out at the same time. And it's not by happen chance both of you meet in the front yard when you drop your trash off, the dirt that you get rid of, the junk that you get rid of, the collected all throughout the week. And you meet in the middle and begin talking about the real garbage of each other's life. You never know, never underestimate the power of your servanthood. But do you commit to it? And will you commit to it? In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. A song realizing that that it is we give all to God. Because He's everything. He's above all in our life. He's everything for us. And we give all to Him. And as we sing that this morning, or you hear it sung this morning, will you make that commitment? The altar is going to be open.
I'm going to even get out of the way. I don't even want to be a distraction to you. I'm going to sit down just like you. And if you want to commit to God, the altar's open for you to come and kneel. If you get down there and you can't get back up, there's enough of us right here to help you get back up, okay? And will you make that commitment to God? Give God all that you have. He's a big boy. He can handle it. And there's nothing you can ever share with him that will shock him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that, that you understand everything within us. You understand our great belief. You understand the lack of. You understand our mind as we're committed to you. You understand the minds that, that are still wondering if you even exist. You understand the sin of our life that clogs up all the drains that allow your love to flow through us. And you understand how you can clean it up and make us free. Father, you understand everything about us. You understand our hesitancy when we want to serve, and you understand our enthusiasm, and we're eager to serve. You understand everything about us. You still love us. You love us with an a, a, a unconditional love. You, you love us perfectly, and you love us eternally. And yet, Father, may we give you back that love today from the best of our ability as a human being as we make that commitment of obedience and servanthood as we lay ourselves before you this day. Father, thank you for being the God that you are and loving us in spite of who we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let this song be your invitation to give all to God today. Let's give it to him. Let's give him our commitment as we listen to this song. Oh,
Oh, oh.